Hey, Helicopter Podcast listeners, this is John Gray from the Hangar Z Podcast. I want to let you all know Vertical Fowler's Spring 2024 issue is now available. In our Spring 2024 issue, we head over to Leon County for a look at how law enforcement agencies in Northern Florida are combining forces to enhance crime fighting. We also visit Metro Aviation in Shreveport, Louisiana to learn about the work behind installing a Metro interior in an Airbus helicopter. We connect with the experts in the search and rescue sector for an update on the latest trends, training, and tools using helicopter rescue missions. And finally, we catch up with the Los Angeles Police Department's Aviation Unit for a look at its training programs. All this, plus highlights of some new products and services that made their debuts at Heli Expo 2024. To check out the latest issue of Vertical Valor, go to verticalvalor.com and scroll to the bottom of the page to find magazines. Enjoy. On today's show, I have Adam Rickard. Adam is actually uh, where I'm at here in Central Oregon. And this is a neat episode because unlike a lot of my guests that have a lot of helicopter experience, Adam is actually just finishing up his training with Leading Edge here in Central Oregon. So this was a really interesting conversation to learn about his training, how it's been going. He's just about to finish his double eye, kind of what he plans for the future, and we talk about why he's flying helicopters, what got him interested. He was previously in the Air Force, uh, and now he's here doing this. We talk a little bit about you know, being a family man. He has a couple kids. He has a wife. He has a full-time job. So uh, we talk a little bit about time management and just kind of what to expect when going to flight school. So uh, this is an awesome episode, especially if you're thinking about starting helicopter training. Hope you enjoy it. As always, a special thanks to Celicopter for producing this podcast. Specializing in helicopter evaluations, faster sales, and superb service, Celicopter is the go-to agency for clients expecting immediate results. Celicopter's team of helicopter professionals are the best in the business. Using their aviation expertise, a nationwide network, and a proprietary 76-step listing strategy, Celicopter will convert your listing from Mayday to Payday. Ready to get started? Text HELICOPTER to 1-855-SELICOPTER. That's HELICOPTER to 1-855-735-5226. And a Celicopter pilot agent will reach out. Celicopter. List it. Sell it. Done. What is up? And welcome to another episode of the Helicopter Podcast. I'm your guy, Halsey Scheider. And today is it's a funny episode today. It's a cool episode uh, my wife and I, I think I've mentioned it recently on the uh, podcast that we have moved to Central Oregon. And in our new house, we had to kind of do some new projects, including the studio setup that you see behind me here. And uh, so I went on a, an app, I think it was called Thumbtack or something. And I found a contractor, hired the contractor. He came over and we had nothing in the house except one helicopter shirt hanging. And he looks at the shirt and goes, Celicopter? I think I know Celicopter. And I'm thinking, how do you know Celicopter? And uh, it turns out that my contractor is uh, just finishing up his double I uh, uh, to become a helicopter pilot and flight instructor 
here at Leading Edge uh, Flight School in Central Oregon, located in Bend. So completely random. Um, so credit goes to him for the studio that you see behind me here. There's also other projects that we've done uh, and he's a helicopter pilot. So it's super cool. So naturally, I, I had to get him on the podcast. Adam Rickard, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great, Halsey. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Uh, it wasn't until I started recording the podcast I realized that I didn't uh, put my clean face on today. So uh, we're going to have to deal with the five o'clock shadow, but I'm sure that's that's okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm doing well. And again, yeah, just small world. Um, just the whole us connecting, you know, it just what are the chances? Uh, obviously, Leading Edge is a, is a big school, but I just was very surprised. So uh, fill us in a little bit. Where are you? Uh, you started training. How long you've been training and kind of what got you into helicopters? Uh, yeah, so I started training actually in uh, June of 2020. So that's when I moved out here, you know, height of COVID. So that was kind of unexpected to start then. Um, I don't think I actually started flying for a few months, but yeah, regardless, you know, got my private, moved on to instrument, commercial. CFI now I'm in double I so taking a little longer than the average I'd say to finish up but I got a family so I can work full-time obviously um yeah I, that's awesome yeah it's like uh you know when you're older not older but you're you and I are I think the same age so mid-30s family you know I kind of saw that in my flight school time right it's like I was a young 18 year old and I actually took kind of long in my training too, but wasn't because I was working all that hard. It's because I had other priorities uh, as an 18 year old. But I saw it a lot with, uh, you know, friends at flight school that were a little bit older transitioning into a second career. You know, they kind of had to juggle not just the flight training, but also juggle the family, make money, uh, things like that. So obviously working as a full-time contractor. I have to say, you're, where did you... Where did you pick up your contracting skills? Because I have to say, so far, you've been knocking it out of the park. Oh, I appreciate the compliment. Um, yeah, just kind of doing my own projects. I was rehabbing some houses. Uh, I did a couple, you know, real estate investments. So that's where it really took off. But kind of all my life, I've been on the handy side. Just I enjoyed tools and stuff like that. So Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, so I know that this is your second career. Um, you're formerly doing Air Force, and obviously you're a contractor now. Um, where did you get this wild hair to say, hey, I want to go and, and fly helicopters? Uh, yeah, you know, helicopters were never really a passion. I was in the Air Force, active duty for 11 years. Um, and the Air Force is primarily airplanes, but they do have a couple of helicopters. I got to go on a few rides on some Pave Hawks, which is a Black Hawk outfitted for search and rescue. But, uh, you know, that, that was just a blast. We did off airport, saw like a herd of caribou, um, up in Alaska. And I was like, man, that's what helicopters are capable of. I want to be a part of that. And, um, found out I could use my GI bill for the flight training and, uh, pursued it after I separated from the air force. Yeah, it's awesome. I do kind of want to delve into your, uh, GI bill a little bit, but before that, Obviously, you ended up choosing Leading Edge Aviation, which is located in Bend. Uh, large flight school, both helicopters and airplanes. Being a resident of Central Oregon, 
very distinctive uh, color scheme for the helicopters, kind of like a lime green uh, for their for their Robinson 22s and their 44s. So uh, very, very easily identified. Um, I, I think if I owned a flight school, I would try to be like a generic color. You know, I don't want to be too identifiable, especially You're in right. airports. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a, it kind of seems counterproductive, but I do, I do have to say, I like the lime green. Um, but so very distinctive, what kind of went into your decision-making uh, process of like, you know, Hey, leading edge, I think is the right fit for me. A lot of our listeners are kind of in that beginning stage right now of trying to figure out where they want to go to flight school. And so kind of walk me through that path of how you decided uh, on leading edge. Uh, yeah, you know, I, the first step was a Google search, which flight schools take the juggle and uh, leading edge was one of the first ones that came up. Uh, and I, my most recent duty station was in Mountain Home, Idaho, outside of Boise. So not too far from Bend here. And um, me and my wife went and visited. We liked the area. So that was kind of the deciding factor as well. Um, I gave the head of the aviation department, Carl Balazari, I'll give him a shout out, gave him a call, super impressed by the way he spoke and just, you know, you could tell it was a real professional program. Um, so that kind of solidified my choice. Um, I was considering other schools as well, but leading I just stood out as far as, you know, the, the professionalism and the structure of everything. Not saying that the other schools, I have no experience, so, but. Yeah, yeah, I mean, kinda... I I don't personally have much experience with Leading Edge, but I'm very familiar with them uh, doing my training in Oregon and being from Oregon, obviously very familiar with Leading Edge. Uh, seems like they have a great reputation, large school, and obviously they have the 141 connected to a college, which is kind of like the key factor for military uh, if you want to utilize the GI benefit. So if you're a listener, you have your GI bill, you're looking to spend it somewhere, well, if it's helicopters that you're interested in, you do have to make sure that you're going to uh, a school that the VA essentially uh, approves. And that's typically has a 141 training structure, not part 61. And it's also in conjunction with a college. So I think in this case here in Bend, it's COCC is like the right. partnered college, if I'm correct. And so what is that like? How, how does one, I'm a civilian guy. Uh, how does How does one utilize their GI benefit? How do you, what is the paperwork involved? What is the time frame? How long does it take to get the money? How does it all work? And how did you set all that up with Leading Edge? Yeah, I mean, they, they walk you through everything. It's actually a pretty simple process. Um, you know, I did it three years ago, so I don't really remember every step. I remember it not being too painful. Um, they have a great program here, like I was saying. They have it all structured and walk you through everything you need to do um and that was one of the other deciding factors because there's a rule the 85 15 so 85 percent of the i guess the school can be gi bill users the other 15 percent has to be private pay that's a rule that the va came up with to make sure that the schools aren't price gouging um so i think leading edge at the time had a just shy of a year wait list and i called another school and they're like yeah we can get you right in that was kind of a red flag for me 
I was like, well, why is Lady Najee here out and then this school? You know, I don't, I don't know what they got going on. So I'm not going to throw their name out there. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the school, they have a great um, rep. She's really on top of everything. The funding pretty much comes through right away. You don't have to worry about putting money out of pocket or anything like that. Um, get your housing allowance while you're doing it. Um, yeah, it's it's great if you have your GI Bill available to you and you have any interest in helicopters, I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. It's it's such a great program, and I love uh, that it's in existence and it's for our veterans. Uh, obviously, I'm personally a big supporter of our military, and I think that we as a country and taxpayers need to do anything and everything we can to support the young men and women as they exit you know, the military. And the fact that you can use the GI Bill is fantastic. I, I do know that there was – GI Bill issues. I think we've talked about it on the show before where, you know, schools were taking advantage of the VA. Essentially, maybe the VA had a lack of oversight and, you know, millions of dollars were being spent on single students, you know, doing all their training in an A-star, flunking right. out, redoing the whole program, you know, kind of uh, shady activity that actually ended up causing problems for all all the VA students kind of moving forward. And I know, I think three years ago is kind of past that time when the article came out in the LA Times, uh, kind of from the whistleblower from all that. So do you know, and, and it's okay if you don't, this is off the cuff question. Do you know if the GI benefit uh, is still paying 100% or is there new nuances that our listeners might need to be aware of? As far as I know, it's, it's 100% paid for. Um, I haven't had to put any money out of my own pocket for any of my training. Um, so, and actually you're making money, like I said, cause you're getting the housing allowance while you're in school full time. Uh, so as of right now, it's still a hundred percent funded. Oh, that's nice. And you said that you started June of 2020, obviously, uh, that was again in the height of the pandemic. Um, what was that like coming into the flight school, was it kind of annoying? I'm, I'm guessing they had to take all sorts of precautions and mask wearing and things like that, especially up in Oregon. Um, what, what, what did that look like there during COVID? You know, it was, um, it wasn't terrible. They did the school did a really good job. The college, all, every class was virtual. So I didn't set foot on the campus till like my second year. Um, and the flight school, obviously, you can't fly virtually, but we do most of our grounds virtual just to try and limit that in-person contact. Um, obviously, flying with masks on, not a big deal, but you're pretty close quarters with your instructor. And we we had a couple of small outbreaks, but they were pretty limited. So uh, it wasn't a terrible experience. I mean, you get really used to Zoom. That. And I'm sure everybody did in that time frame, you know. But uh, yeah, they did a they did a good job. We still got our flying in. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think the whole world, you know, I, I know that Zoom stock specifically did really well right in the beginning of pandemic, and then you know all the other providers kind of jumped on, having their own you know video conference platform. Um, in fact, not even related to helicopters, but you know, I think that there's actually been a lot of positives that came out of COVID. 
Uh, I certainly didn't love the experience uh, like anyone else. And uh, it was challenging running my business during that time. I was trying to get married at that time. That kind of threw a wrench in things. So we all had to make adjustments, uh, but I'm glad to hear that it wasn't like a huge, big, crazy thing that, you know, impacted your training negatively. So you start uh, 2020, uh, you start with your private. One of the reasons I want to have you on, Adam, is I haven't, I don't think in the episodes that I've done, I've actually really been able to sit down and chat with someone that's actually kind of still immersed within their ab initio helicopter training. Uh, I'm blessed to have a lot of good friends that have a ton of helicopter experience. Uh, And so I think it's really fun to be able to connect with someone like you that's kind of newer in training. What did the training program look like for you? What were some of the things that were challenging both on the ground and in the flight portion? And if there's someone that's considering helicopter flight school, what is some of the advice that you would give kind of being immersed in that environment right now? Yeah, so the program, it's a part 141 program here. So it's it's pretty structured. You know, the grounds, we got our TCOs that we follow. It's all pretty structured. It's a, you know, you're just going through the steps. You got our stage checks before you go solo, stuff like that. Um, yeah, as far as challenges, I mean, everybody has their own challenges. And it can definitely be pretty frustrating at times. There's times where I definitely felt like, you know, giving up, like maybe this isn't for me, especially on the ground side. That's the hardest part. I mean, the, it's, it's dry information. It can be. So what are you talking about? You don't, you don't want to read the far aim. I've actually I, full disclosure. I actually ended up like, I hate it reading and uh, not great studier. And in right. fact, for me, the ground was the hardest part. For our listeners out there, whether you're 18 or you're 35, keep in mind when you go to helicopter flight school, like 75% of it's ground, right? The, you know, 25, maybe a little bit more percent is actually in the helicopter, which is the fun stuff. It can also be frustrating, but that's like helicopter flight school. You think of flying, you know, you don't think about reading, you know, part 61 and 91 and trying to figure out these regulations and and stage checks and and questions. And one of the things that Adam said there, and I just want to make sure that I highlight some of the key terms. So you're kind of familiar with what we're talking about is part 141 versus part 61. So 141 training program, uh, Adam used the term, the TCO, which is a training course outline. And essentially it's like a syllabus of, Hey, here's flight lesson number one. And in order to move to flight lesson two, you have to accomplish all the tasks in flight lesson one. And that's the same situation for the ground. So you ha- it's very structured. You can jump around a little bit, but you have to do a syllabus deviation. Whereas 61 is kind of like, here's what you need to get to have your license. Go get it. And you can kind of mix match and do your training that way. And so what Adam is talking about is, hey, I'm a VA guy. I'm 141 enrolled. So I'm following a very structured syllabus. And within that syllabus, you also have designated stage checks, usually a pre-solo and then a pre-check ride. And those are times where you're getting tested, you know, on some of the knowledge that you've learned and then also getting tested in the air. So it's very structured. I, I like 141 training. It's a, it's a must if you're VA. Uh, in, the, in the flight portion, you know, obviously, Adam, I, I agree with you. The ground is dry. Let's be honest. None of it is really all that exciting. 
some people thrive in it. You know, there's some guys that just guys and gals, I should say that, you know, are good at that and enjoy that. You know, my buddy, Zach Whitehead is a guy that, you know, he had, he has the lift equation tattooed to his arm. You know, he just, <laughs> he's a dork. He's a nerd. He loves that stuff where I'm, I'm kind of not that way. I'm not super detail oriented all the time. So, um, other than the ground for me, I struggled with auto rotations for a long time. What were some of the flight maneuvers that you, that you kind of struggled with or maybe even continue to struggle with? Uh, yeah, thanks for clarifying that 141, 61. And you did a much better job explaining that than I would have. So uh, <laughs> I was the, not put me on the spot. <laughs> I was the, uh, yeah, I, I was very involved in the Hillsborough Aviation uh, 141 program during my flight school days. So uh, I do but, have a fair amount of knowledge. I'm sure it's changed a little bit, but uh, yeah, not a problem. And yeah, back to you. Yeah, so... <laughs> one for me um surprisingly not auto rotations but it was a normal approach and even still i mean to me it's all relative like what looks normal to me may look steep to you may look shallow to the next guy uh so there's no right or wrong in my opinion uh you just pick a spot on your windshield usually the compass and then reference that um that I struggled with that more than any other maneuver. And in fact, my first instructor told me that maybe I'm not cut off for helicopters because I couldn't do a normal <laughs> oh, approach. <God. laughs> well, I'm glad that you said that because I've actually always said that the most complicated two maneuvers in a helicopter is the normal and steep approach. And in fact, when I got the chance and the opportunity to do more stage checks and evaluate individuals throughout their training, I actually could tell like a good stick first, not the best stick based on how they flew both their normal and their steep approach. The auto rotation is actually, once you kind of figure it out, really simple. You keep your eyes outside, you lower the collective, roll off, just keep the helicopter level. If you keep the helicopter level, it's like you do nothing, right? And then at the end you do a flare, bing, bada, boom. Whereas a normal and steep approach, you're consistently having to evaluate your position in the air to your reference point on the ground. And you're making these small inputs on all three controls, cyclic, collective, and pedals to have an outcome. So I've always said the hardest maneuvers are the approaches. And even as a professional pilot, depending on the company that you work for, you know, I worked at Maverick. They like a very, very shallow approach. Then I went to AeroVac and they want the world's steepest, slowest approach. You know, it's constantly kind of that thorn in your side of like, man, approaches can be difficult even when you're into the commercial world. Uh, so I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that your instructor said that because I think it's very common, in fact, to, to struggle on that point. Um, I would say if you're listening and you're a flight instructor, don't ever tell your student that they're not cut out. That's a, that's a horrible, yeah. uh, don't I, do I don't us. know who don't your do instructor that. is, but well, I'm not going to throw that guy out of the bus. That's yeah, don't, but that's, you know, if you're listening and you're, and you're an instructor, you're about to instruct, you know, you have to, uh, if your student can't fly a normal approach, I would say the burden is on you. You know, you have to be able to teach one maneuver 10 different ways because 10 different people are going to learn it differently. And so if your student is failing at something, it's most likely because you're maybe not properly, uh, you know, teaching them the way that they're learning. So uh, I'm sorry that that was the experience. And I'm glad that you didn't listen to that because obviously now you're working on your double I, you've passed your check rides and, and you're here. 
Um, what, what was that, uh, that feeling like the night before your private check ride? Uh, You have a non-aviation background. You've never done a check ride before. Walk me through the night before what you were feeling, some of the anxiety and, uh, what it was, what your expectation was kind of versus what the reality was. Obviously there's some nerves going on. Uh, not, not the worst. I mean, for me, you know, I've been through so many tests and everything and it's just another test, but I think with the, you know, especially the part 141 structure, you're pretty well prepared by the time you get to that check ride and they intentionally make our stage checks really difficult. So if you get through the stage check, you're going to pass your check ride. Um, so I kind of knew that going into it, that it's going to be easier than my stage check. Um, so, but nonetheless, even, you know, every check ride, I'm a little bit nervous walking in, but the DP, I've only had two different DPs, but they've both done a really good job of making sure you're comfortable and you know, you're on the same page. They're like, Hey man, we have the same goal. You walking out here with your rating today. Let's make it happen. If there's any shortcomings, we'll just come back and rehash it. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. I actually did, you know, fail my CFI the first time around because I wasn't what? fully prepared on my FOIs. Oh, so you failed on the ground portion. I failed on the, yeah, the FOIs. So he told me, he's like, Hey, this is a no-go, but if you want to just continue with the rest of the ground, just make sure nothing else is going to come up. So we did that. And then it was just FOIs. We came back, did like a half hour ground, talked about my shortcomings and then went and flew and yeah. Made it happen. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the term FOI, it's fundamentals of instruction. And I would say it's kind of a glossed over um, part of flying helicopters. In fact, on, uh, I guess it would probably be last our two weeks ago episode, uh, my buddy Josh Gianni and I were talking about that, how here you, here you become a flight instructor. Not only do you not have that much helicopter flight time, but most people don't really have a teaching background. And I actually, when I was teaching CFI training, I made an emphasis on the FOIs because I think that some flight schools or some individuals in your case being, you know, kind of a prime example, maybe don't put as much stock, you know, into that side. I think it's really normal. You know, we're so focused on the flying portion, the regulation portion that we kind of forget that actually so much of being a flight instructor is actually teaching people and the fundamentals of instruction are actually pretty good. Like, you know, uh, it, it does kind of give you that nice foundation of being able to, you know, transmit your knowledge to another human and being able to do that in an effective way. And so if you're about to get into your CFI, I would definitely recommend that, you know, definitely take a lot of stock into the FOIs. That's what's going to make you a good instructor versus maybe not such a good instructor. Uh, right. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I know a lot of students that, uh, you know, burned a check ride because of the FOI or a stage check or something like that. Um, so you failed that check ride. And look, people fail check rides. It happens. Um, if, if you're in right. your training and, and you bust a check ride, move on. Right. Um, I don't think I've ever been in an interview in a commercial environment where it's like, ask me if I've failed check rides. Uh, yeah. And the DP so, did a really good job and like, you know, cause obviously you don't want to fail, like, especially, 
you know, it's a competitive environment. You know, failing is failing. Nobody likes that. It's a bad feeling. But even the DP said that. He's like, you're never going to be asked if you fail the check drive. <laughs> like, you know, they, they make it easy on you. Uh, but it's still a bad feeling at the end of the day. But you just push on. Yeah, no. 100% agree. I mean, we don't, you, yeah, I don't want to advocate for failing, but don't, don't beat yourself up, you know, get back on the horse and just get her done. Now, as you're starting and kind of nearing, I should say the end of your flight training, obviously you've been over at my house doing projects and, and we've been able to talk shop a little bit about helicopters. What is, what is kind of your primary goal right now? What, what is the next two years helicopter wise look like for Adam? Yeah, um, obviously instructing. I'd like to instruct her at Leading Edge. You know, I like the like the program. I want to be a part of it. And um, after that, I I think the uh, probably the Grand Canyon. You know, I've been to Vegas a few times. Spent some time down there with the military. I enjoyed the area, so I think it'd be fun to fly down there. Probably at Maverick, where you used to fly at. You know. Oh shoot! Yeah, maybe we'll see. You know, um, maybe if you do my next project free, I'll, I'll put a good word in. <laughs> yeah, well, got a TV on the wall with your name on it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, Mavericks are great. You know, Mavericks are great opportunity. Um, and, you know, I look at the tours, it's specifically in the Grand Canyon, probably everywhere, actually. It's a great way to build time. It's a great way to get turbine time. One of the things that I loved about flying in that environment was just the networking opportunity because you have at that time, I think 72 other helicopter pilots. And these are guys and gals that I remain close with to this day. And we all help each other out, right? We all kind of move on from flying tours and, you know, help each other get jobs at the next level, whether it's air medical or law enforcement or utility, whatever it may be, you know, so that's pretty cool. Uh, and I'm glad to hear that you uh, are kind of leaning towards the flight instructor route. I, I personally think that when you're a flight instructor, you learn so much. You kind of start to see training from a different perspective and you can see the mistakes that you were making in your students. And that to me was like the aha moment of like, oh, I get what I was doing wrong now, you know? And so I think that that's uh, a really good time to to hone your craft what are you excited about flight instructing and what are some of the nerves that you have with it? Yeah. And, you know, just a small amount that I did get to fly in the, in the CFI rating, you know, I feel like it made me a much better pilot, just really like trying to focus on understanding why everything's doing what it does. Um, I guess to answer your question, nervous, what makes me nervous about it is, just maybe not being able to catch a mistake that a student does make, you know, not being quick enough. Uh, I mean, worst case scenario, something bad's going to happen, but, you know, or teaching the wrong thing. Cause you know, one of the FOIs is the primacy. So if you tell someone the wrong thing the first time, that's what they're going to remember. Um, so those are kind of what makes me nervous about instructing. And then what makes me excited is just seeing someone who's never touched a helicopter control and then maybe sending them solo. Like that'd be a pretty fulfilling feeling. Like you took that guy from not, not ever knowing anything about helicopters going out there and flying it on his own, making it back or her own. You know, we have quite a few females here as well. 
Got to represent both genders, bro. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a changing industry. I, I, I hope more females get involved. Uh, setting your first student solo is kind of like your first kiss. Uh, at least for me, it was, it's like, you never forget it. I know exactly the day. Uh, my first student was a guy named Jean Frederick Stephen. Uh, Jean, if you're out there listening, what's up, buddy? Uh, he's French. Uh, he's a very successful, uh, working pilot now over in Europe. Uh, and yeah, I remember that day like it was yesterday and it is a really, uh, nerve wracking moment. Uh, but it's also really exciting. And, and of course, when you're at a structured school, you know, other people have evaluated that student prior to solo, right. um, which kind of eliminates some of the nerves, but it's always kind of an intense thing. And, you know, if I could give you some advice on, on some of the things that you said you were nervous about, which were very reasonable, and I'm sure others in your position that may even be listening kind of feel the same way, is I think some of the things that you can do is is take your time. Don't don't put yourselves don't put yourself in a position to where a student could do something uh unfavorable and always be ready to kind of know what the student in that given situation could do a good example is like quick stops right uh if you're teaching auto rotations and quick stops concurrently that might not be the best idea because auto rotation three two one lower collective roll off throttle quick stop we did a count up one, two, three, you know, lower aft pedal. There could be a confusion there. I've had it before where student wants to roll off the throttle. So I think kind of just knowing where the student might want to mess up will help you be able to catch it. So it's not like you're having to catch anything because you were already ready for it. Entering an auto, my hand was wrapped, you know, they couldn't roll the throttle on. They could only roll it off. And I've had students so many times want to roll the throttle on during an auto or a lower collective in a, in a uh, hover auto right away. You know, you, you start to build, Hey, I know where my student's going to make the mistake so I can prepare. But as you become a new instructor, take your time. And that's the good thing about it, right? Your student's not going to go into auto rotations, your first flight, you're going to have to do hovering and hover taxiing, normal approaches. So you as an instructor get to ease in, just based on their uh, newness to flying helicopters. And yeah, primacy is huge, man. Uh, my advice to any instructor, whether you're new or you're an old codger at it, is don't BS. If you don't know something, don't tell them what you think might be the right answer, because that's most likely what they're going to remember. And so it's important just to say, hey, look, I don't know. That's a good question. I never thought about that. Let me get the answer for you. You know, it's way better than saying, Oh, well, it's like this because you want to kind of maintain your ego or, or whatever. You're human. You're a flight instructor. You know more than your student. But trust me, you're going to fly with some very smart people. I've flown with physicists, mechanical engineers. I mean, I would be doing ground with people and, you know, they're explaining the sound frequencies and how resonance happens. And I'm like, I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know that's a, it's a, high, a high level above my head. So, I think it's fair to have those thoughts, Adam. And, you know, um, I think you'll be a good instructor, very even keel. What does the process look like at Leading Edge? Do you have to interview for that? Or is it kind of a guaranteed, hey, you trained here, you get to be an instructor here? It's not guaranteed. Uh, there is an interview process. Uh, obviously, I haven't been through it. But, yeah, it's just the interview. They have you teach a lesson, kind of evaluate. It's a panel of uh, the chief pilot and a couple other people. 
teach, uh, you go fly. And that, you know, you're just in your instructor role the whole time. So they're just kind of evaluating how you, how you're doing and then you either get the job or you don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I say it a million times, I'll say it again. Your interview started your first day, right? The first right. day you showed up to leading edge, the attitude, the, uh, the way that you carry yourself, those are all factors that go into that hiring panel, right? Those guys know who you are, right? They, they know who Adam is. They know who every student is. They've known, known you now for three years. So, you know, you have this whole opportunity to, to build these relationships. So, you know, the interview starts when you start day one and the real interview comes and, you know, it's an exciting process. It's a nerve wracking process, obviously for your first job. Do you have to submit like an application, go through all that? Uh, I believe you do. I haven't gotten that far yet. You know, I just started my double eye training here a couple weeks ago. So, um, yeah, just doing, doing it day by day. Awesome. I'm hoping to get the full gouge, but I guess we'll have to get it on a, on another one. Uh, yeah. after you get hired, we'll, we'll, we'll have you back on after you have like 500 hours, kind of do a Adam Rickard checkup. What, uh, obviously good. I know that you're on, you know, again, you're not old, right? We're the same age, but you're, you know, there's probably at leading edge, you see it. There's, there's a lot of young guys and gals learning how to fly helicopters that maybe don't have some of the same life restrictions that you as a, as an older guy has, what has it been like for you to juggle your family, helicopter training, college, ground school, working full time? What does that look like? And how have you been able to be successful to kind of juggle all those uh, balls. Yeah, it's a lot, you know, it can be very overwhelming at times, uh, especially when you're three classes, full-time job, two kids, still trying to do your ground fly. It can be a lot. That's why it took me a year to do my CFI. I just could not make a lesson plan to save my life. You know, just they had <laughs> zero time or energy or, you know, every time I'd sit down to do it, my brain is just dead. Uh, so I'd have to wake up at like four o'clock in the morning before my kids got up and well, my brain's fresh, hammer out some lesson plans and, uh, go on about my day. But, you know, it's, it's time management just with anything, you know, obviously everything, everything has its own time block and you have to have the mental capacity to be able to handle it all as well. So yeah, it can be overwhelming, but it's definitely doable. I think I'm a proven example of that. And, you know, I know other friends that I'm training with who are in similar situations to me. It's not a well. race, right? You know, there's, no. I remember going to flight school and there's guys, we, you know, we had a lot of Europeans when I was going through and they're kind of on a tighter time frame with their visa and things like that. And, and they were there full time. Like that was their job. That was their life. You know, they get everything done in a year. Took me just over two years. I could have probably done it in a year. Uh, but again, 18, I was having a good time enjoying life. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so that's, you know, kind of part of it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think time management's a, a huge part of it. Uh, but you have to make sacrifices, right? Getting up at four in the morning, you know, sacrificing some sleep to get it done. You know, anything in life that you want, you, you kind of have to make sacrifices for. And, and hopefully long term, it will pay off. What's your, you know, obviously your kind of short-term next few years looks like CFI, maybe tours. What's like your ideal helicopter job? Like what, what does Adam want to do? Yeah, that's a, 
a pretty interesting question. I haven't thought about it a ton, but I mean, I guess kind of the two that interest me are either, you know, air evac or maybe even fire. Um, I don't know if the fire aspect, you know, being gone for months at a time would work out, especially with having younger kids. Cause my kids right now are three and six. So they're, they're still pretty young by the time I get to that point, you know, four or five, six years, whatever it may be. I don't know if I'd be willing to make that sacrifice, but that's why kind of air evac stands out to me. And when you say air evac, you just kind of mean like air ambulance in general, not necessarily the company air evac. Yeah. Uh, EMS Hems, I guess. Uh, yeah. I forgot that's a company name. <laughs> yeah. That's who I worked for and great company. Okay. You should, you could work for them. Uh, great, great program. Uh, their knock is that they fly 206s and 407s. Uh, they are actually, I think, adding 135s, but I think it's on uh, kind of a sister company certificate. Uh, okay. But I thoroughly enjoyed uh, my time at Air Evac. Uh, well, I should say that, uh, as I've talked about in the podcast, I didn't thrive because I didn't love the night shift. But the company right. as a whole, very impressive. Great maintenance, great airframes. Uh, it's a 206, 407, but it's, you know, partial glass, autopilot. Um, but, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose also where you want to live, you know, in different air medical companies. You know, if you want to be in the Northwest, Life Flight Network is a great option because they have, you know, a ton of bases, you know, all over the Pacific Northwest. That's where they're based out of, you know, Air Evac's kind of more Texas and Midwest and Southern states. Air Method's kind of dotted all over. So, you know, there's definitely options um, and, and lots of things to do. And yeah, utility, man, that's, I mean, that's what everyone, I think, kind of wants to do. It's the fun, you know, the firefighting, power line stuff, whatever, external load. It's a hard life, though. It's a, it's not a necessarily a family life. Right. Have you, has anyone told you about AIDS yet in, in the term of aviation? No, I have not heard of that. AIDS is aviation-induced divorce syndrome. Uh, no. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of a morbid thing right but it's there's a lot of truth to it you know you have to you have to kind of pick hey can i be gone for six months at a time you know or can i be month on month off and still have a happy wife and happy kids and happy life you know you have to kind of weigh out all those things because you know life isn't just helicopters yeah and you know and, coming uh, from a military background it's kind of the same divorce rates really high for for that reason you know me and my wife were we're coming up on 12 years, but you know, I think nine of that was while I was active duty. So we're used to that, but that's the whole reason that I separated. I went on an eight month deployment. My son was a year old, came back and he's a whole, you know, he's a toddler. Left, he was a baby and he's a toddler when I got back. So when you say separated, you mean from the Air Force, not your wife? From the Air Force, yeah, I'm still with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't met your wife yet. We have to hang out. I mean, we, we're like, we live in the same town. We got to be yeah. friends. Yeah. One of the, one of the funny things that my wife and I always talk about is like when you're an adult, it's so hard to make new friends, you know, especially when you're new to an area. It's yeah. Like, I don't hang out with anybody ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, you know, I'm busy as it is, but you know, for that reason, move somewhere yeah, new. you don't, you don't know anybody. It is tough. Yeah. Well, uh, Adam, I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's, uh, you know, I think really enlightening for our guests. You know, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of the messages that I get are from, from guys and gals that are just getting into flight training. So, um, super invaluable to be able to, you know, talk with you. And I really appreciate you coming on 
total small yeah. world. I think it's awesome. I appreciate the the beautiful studio here. Um, Adam came in. I did the painting. There's a navy blue wall behind that uh, the batten boards. But Adam and his guy Seth came over, uh, put all those boards up. They go across this entire wall behind me here. I harder project than we both anticipated, right? Yeah, it was a. I thought it was going to be you know a day. It took us what three, two and a half. So. I think it's like yeah, two and a half, three days. But you guys did great work and. Uh, you know, I appreciate you coming over and I just think it's so funny. You know, what are the chances of, uh, the contractor that I found on an app flying helicopter? So, uh, yeah, Adam, I, again, saw I, your, I saw your shirt hanging there and, uh, I'm kind of an observant person, you know, and I was like, I, I'm, I should ask him about that. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Um, I was a little bit nervous about doing this. I'm not the best speaker <laughs> as our audience is going to be able to tell you're this, fine. But, uh, hey, look, you're, you're a helicopter pilot. You're a contractor. I mean, it's not, you know, um, I appreciate it. Every guest that comes on, it, it's, um, I, I have a great respect because it is uncomfortable to put yourself out there. I choose to put myself out there and I do it to, to promote the podcast. I do it to promote my, my business. Selicopter, you know, it's my choice. So to have individuals like yourself that are willing to come on uh, does mean the world to me. And you did great. Uh, it's, you know, I, uh, I, I knew going into it, I was going to have to, you know, direct questions a little more pointed, you know, uh, we've been able to work together now a little bit. So I know your personality and it's a great personality. And, um, I got to drive your super old car recently, which was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, the, the, what is it, Pontiac, the Bonneville, the Pontiac, Pontiac Bonneville. Bonneville that, yeah. that thing's like a boat, man. That was crazy. Yeah. I love that car. I love the whole bench seat too. I mean, like, you could sleep in there, you know, and I, uh, my wife came along, we went for a little ride, had my arm around her, felt like I was yeah. driving around <laughs> in the, the 1960s, you know, I was going to head down to the, uh, the local, uh, fast food joint, you know, and yeah, live my days in confused, uh, uh, dream, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on. Um, and I appreciate our listeners. It's, I do the podcast because people are listening. Uh, I get a lot of good, positive feedback. Uh, in fact, if you like the show, please continue to listen. Make sure that you like and subscribe. We're also doing video now. The Helicopter Podcast has its own YouTube channel where we're uh, uploading all uh, new podcasts uh, to video format. And we also have older podcasts that uh, were also video. So we're uploading those and the audio. And then, of course, you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Uh, and in fact, if you really enjoy it, feel free to leave a review. Uh, it really helps grow uh, the brand and, and grow, uh, grow awareness. Uh, so please leave a review, please subscribe, share it with your friends uh, and keep reaching out. I love hearing from people. Adam, thank you again for coming on the show today. Uh, and thank yeah. you to our listeners of the helicopter podcast. See thank Adam. you. Yep. Thank you.